0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of EdChoice Chats. I'm Mike McShane, Director of National Research here at EdChoice. I am joined on the line today by Drew Catt, Director of State Research and Special Projects, and Mike Shaw, Research Analyst on the research team at EdChoice. We are here today to talk about the Schooling in America survey. And I know what some of you may be thinking, loyal listeners, and thank you for being such loyal listeners, but you're thinking to yourselves, wait a second, didn't we just listen to a podcast with roughly the same cast of characters talking about the schooling in America survey? And to which I will say yes, but yes, with a but. And the but of this is that the schooling in America survey this year is actually a bit different. We dug in specifically to the question of homeschooling. And so what we're going to be talking about today is sort of why we did that, how we did that, and what we found. And so maybe starting at the beginning, fellas, Why the emphasis on homeschooling in this year's Schooling in America survey?
1: Yeah, I would say, Mike, and thanks for the question, and thanks for uh, having us on today. I would say that this is something that we'd already been thinking about, we'd already talked about, as you yourself are becoming quite the expert on hybrid homeschooling. It is something that is being talked more and more about in the educational reform space. And I think with the timing of when we administered the survey, we had, the perfect opportunity to kind of ask parents what they thought about homeschooling and their experiences with homeschooling back in February prior to the uh, pandemic that we're still currently experiencing. And then uh, to kind of see what change, if any, kind of happened in their perceptions of homeschooling, their likelihood of homeschooling, uh, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it's wild. I you know I worked this last year, uh, as you mentioned, writing this book on hybrid homeschooling, this sort of particular vision of homeschooling where children attend school part-time and are homeschooled for part-time. It's actually funny, this term has entered into the lexicon of more and more people than when I started this project. And in some ways, uh, you know, my summer, I've been spending lots of time not only finishing this book, but talking with people as school districts have contemplated this idea of using some sort of hybrid model. And I'm in some ways. I'm kind of morally conflicted about this in the sense that I'm very happy that all of the research that I've done can can be useful and I've had the opportunity to write for several large outlets and I'm being asked to speak to all of these groups virtually of course. And so it's been really great for my career that this horrific pandemic has racked the globe and that's where the conflict comes in because I feel terrible that it took this awful thing to happen for the research that I did to become more relevant, but relevant it is. And so without diving too much into the coronavirus itself and the sort of unfolding cavalcade of nightmares that appear to um, come across our doorsteps every single day. Yeah, homeschooling obviously has become this big question. So it's really cool that we have this opportunity to talk to people. But so how exactly did we do this? What was the sort of sample? Like what was the actual process of of talking to folks?
2: Yeah, Mike, and to your point, it, it, it's super relevant for your work. And it was also just the topic of homeschooling or, or home education more broadly. And this is where definitions might matter. And maybe you can comment on this as well. But, you know, this sort of thing kind of came into the forefront for parents. Drew is, is kind of one of the main, as well as Paul Pernon on our research team, main architects of the survey instrument. We kind of had to come up with some sort of cutoff point of definition of homeschooling would be for this year's survey. Cause we've surveyed homeschooling parents in the past consistently. This is going on year seven of schooling in America. And we always kind of segment these parents out by what type of school their children attend or or even for Americans broadly, what types of schools, whether they be public, private charter, or homeschools, do they prefer for their children? And you always get this these interesting breakouts as far as sectors of education. This year, we kind of had to be a little crafty with it because everyone come March or April was doing some version of home education. And so how do you design a survey instrument to kind of retain our year-over-year results of parents who homeschool, i.e., take their children out of a formal education setting and are purely in charge of their education with those who and we talked about this during the last podcast, whether it be just a workbook and a weekly chat with a teacher or something more structured but online, were educating their children at home. So this was kind of an interesting thing to do. And I'll I'll turn it over to Drew to kind of talk more about the design as far as segmenting these groups.
1: Yeah, and I will preface this by saying <clears throat> I was homeschooled in elementary school, and I am a purist when it comes to the definition of homeschooling, a homeschooler has curricula that is decided by the parents and or co-op. It is not something that is decided by the district. So personally, that's how I separate it. Um, but for the purpose of the survey, uh, we, as Mike Shaw mentioned, uh, we had to get a little crafty. So so we asked them, uh, where was your child being schooled in February before school started closing? Uh, to kind of really get what they were doing at the be- at the beginning of the semester, and maybe even um, by not asking the fall, capture those that had tentatively switched from one schooling sector to another from the fall semester to the spring semester. We also ask about any experience homeschooling. So there are a couple charts in the slide deck for this report that you do have to pay a little closer attention to, um, because it's have you ever had experience homeschooling? Uh, versus you do, have never experienced homeschooling for your children. And in terms of like the the sample sizes, we had about, a, or we had exactly 805 parents, the current school parents that responded. So 105 of those were homeschooling at least one child in February. Uh, 700 of them were not. And when it comes to those who have ever experienced homeschooling, we had almost roughly split with 413 that said that they had homeschooled, at least one child at some point, and 392 that had not.
0: Well, I think that's a really important point for for a couple of reasons. So, I think first, I'm very glad, Drew, that you were clear about the definitions here, because that has definitely been a robust conversation in sort of homeschool school choice world of what do we call this thing that everyone did in in the in the spring, and many more people may be doing in the fall. It's is it really homeschooling or is it schooling at home? And I think. You harken upon that key issue of control. So, it's who controls the education there? Who controls what children are learning? You know, there's been questions in the past who pays for it? Where exactly does it take place? But I think that key issue of control. So, so for example, historically, a student that that attended like an online school really wouldn't be a homeschooler. Like they would be enrolled in an online school, but that school is deciding the curriculum. Like it's doing all of the stuff just like a student would normally be. They just happen to be doing it within their home. But a real homeschooler is that their parent sits down and says, no, like, I'm choosing this math curriculum. I'm choosing this English curriculum and others. And that's great. And I think it was so crafty the way that you all did this whole kind of, well, what were you doing in February or others? And the other bit of it that I think is really interesting is just the number of people. Oftentimes, I think we think of these sectors as sort of sacrosanct, that like children go to private school or we have private school parents. And then like kids are privately educated for their entire School schooling life. Well, it turns out people bounce around like they bounce within between private schools and traditional public schools into charter schools into homeschooling for a year. And so just the sheer number of people in our sample that showed, oh, no, we've done this at some point. That might have only been for a year. It might have been for two years. We might have done it when our kids were younger, but didn't want to do it when it was older. It might have been because we moved. It might have been because of any number of different reasons. But just understanding that fluidity between these different sectors, I think, is actually really important. It's not something that we sort of directly asked about in the survey, but showed up in the data of what people had to say.
1: I would like to point out that uh, when we asked about satisfaction with any schooling type, that was a little earlier in the survey, uh, kind of before we asked about what their child was doing in February. So it is extremely possible that there was a little bit of muddling in what parents saw thought the definition of homeschooling was at that point in time. So they could have been answering for what they were doing in April, May, since the survey was conducted kind of at the towards the end of May into the first couple of days of June. For sure.
2: And to that point, Drew, it's is worth noting, in case we haven't brought it up already, the the survey was in the field for respondents in late May and early June. And to your point, things could have changed as far as how virtual education was going or, or even what I'm kind of thinking more about as we Uh, think about the ramifications of this survey and and this wave of schooling in America is thinking ahead to the fall and what they might be doing or thinking of doing as far as the education setting for their children. So all things important to keep in mind, but definitely think we had a a pretty solid survey instrument to try to separate those very important definitional differences out.
0: Yeah, for sure. And a lot of this stuff is fuzzy, right? Because, you know, as Drew mentioned, homeschool co-ops, like some of these co-ops are actually super structured. Um, and folks were, and they almost like with a wink and a nod kind of look like a school. And there's some, you know, online learning programs that give parents a lot of choice in the curriculum to you. So, so there's fuzziness around the edges of these things. So I think, you know, um, what y'all did to do this was as good of a job as, as could possibly been had done. and, And that's great. So let's get into it. Let's get into sort of what the findings were. So a key question that lots of people are interested in is the question, why do parents homeschool? So there are sections in the sort of report that comes out where we talk, uh, where where you look at sort of the general question about homeschooling and then specifically dive into the coronavirus and its impacts. But so before we get to the coronavirus bit, I would love for you all to just take a second to talk about what do we know about why parents choose to homeschool?
2: Yeah, so this survey was interesting because In a lot of ways, everything has changed, but in a lot of ways, nothing has. You know, our Schooling in America surveys kind of consistently find that safety is a top concern or rationale for parents choosing or or wishing to homeschool, and that was really no different this year. Half of the parents who had homeschooled said a safe environment was a high priority for, for choosing that sort of environment. That that also kind of worked out racial differences as well with white parents, especially fifty seven percent, albeit a small sample size, citing that as a reason to homeschool the finding a safe environment. Of course, safety, the term even in the past twelve months or so has as in the education setting has taken on a totally different connotation as a result of the pandemic. You know, it was with, with legislation and uh, education policy, it didn't meant everything from bullying concerns to potential violence or or school shootings that we so terribly see happen all too often in this country. And it was a a very different concern for parents during the time of this survey being fielded regarding coronavirus concerns. And as Drew has mentioned in in previous podcasts, and in our previous slide deck, there's a very high percentage of parents, at least in our sample, who live in at-risk homes. And so COVID-19 fears are, are high and warranted in that regard.
1: Yeah, and I think it's interesting, kind of, as you said, Mike, that safety is such an important piece for this. So we gave parents kind of 14 different factors that they could choose from, and we told them, hey, rank your top three. And then we have a table kind of collapsing those top three ranks, and half of parents, 50% of the 14 rankings, put safe environment in their top three. The next one down, individual one-on-one attention, it's slightly more than a third at 35%. And then it jumps down to a quarter. So you can really see those top two reasons kind of really sticking out. And, and again, Mike Shaw, as you mentioned, that is something that we've seen kind of year over year as well in terms of consistency.
2: And to that end, Drew, and Mike, maybe this is more of a question or, or opportunity for comment for you on these results for reasons for homeschooling. It's not totally clear because we kind of bucket out these responses, but this curriculum control definition that we've been talking about isn't necessarily a top reason or, or a high priority reason that that parents choose to homeschool, but it might be like in, embedded in various other reasons. You know, like individual one-on-one attention, maybe you design a curriculum that benefits or is, is structured in such a way to that that sort of attention that you can't get in a traditional school setting. We also have morals and character instruction, as well as discipline, is like high priority reasons. So I'm I'm wondering what what you guys think about how that kind of ties into curriculum. Is is curriculum just standards and and worksheets and and readings, or is it this kind of broader idea when it comes to the homeschool education setting?
0: No, I think that's a great question, and and it's interesting. Yeah, when you talk with and like the research that I've done with homeschoolers and others, yeah, I mean it's like curriculum you know we have a certain definition of that of the sort of scope and sequence of learning and and textbook publishers and whatever you know a lot of people just interpret that as like so like what books do kids read in english class or right or those things and some maybe it's a little bit clearer because like some math curricula have more specific sort of pedagogical philosophies or, you know, whether they're spiraled or whether whatever, you know, all the stuff that's sort of going on there. And some people, I think, around history and around science have some specific things that they like to see in, in, in their courses or, or that they don't. So, yeah, I think curriculum is kind of a term of art that educators use that maybe not every family would envision all of the things that like an educator might put under the bucket of curriculum. But they do have those types of concerns about what's going to be read. Um, how is history gonna be taught? How is science gonna be taught? And those sort of the same math, especially in the wake of some of the common core stuff where math pedagogy changed. It's kind of like, are you using the old math? Or are you using the new math? So yeah, they might not put that exact label on it, but I think those are the types of questions that they're working through when they're making these types of choices. Gotcha. So I think it would be good to maybe transition talking, you, you both sort of mentioned it briefly, but how has the coronavirus impacted? So, you know, we were talking about some of these questions that we've asked previously that have remained relatively stable. And But now, you know, obviously this incredible once-in-a-generation event happens. It affects education directly. It exposes more people to at least home-based learning, if not homeschooling. What has the impact of the coronavirus been on opinions about homeschooling?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, for this, we did split it out kind of into the two groups of homeschooling in February versus not homeschooling in February. So those that were, you know, homeschooling at the start of the spring semester, almost half or 47% of them said that they were more favorable. Interestingly, nearly a quarter, 24% said that they were less favorable. That's striking compared to those who were not homeschooling in February, because it's not that much less than the 28% who said they were less favorable of homeschooling comparatively 43% said that they were more favorable. So the interesting thing is kind of the margin or the the difference between the high and the low there. So it's 23 points for those who are homeschooling in February, and it's a little tighter at 15 points for those who are not homeschooling in February.
2: Yeah, the only thing I'd add there is that this change in perception seems to be kind of consistent with other polls and surveys that have been conducted. And, you know, of course, I think that the time a survey instrument is fielded might impact these things, but we've seen other groups, SPN, for instance, see an increase of 11 percentage points, for instance, in homeschooling favorability, kind of pre and post pandemic and and virtual learning shift in the spring. So these results seem to be somewhat consistent.
1: I'm also wondering how much parent preferences are coming into this. For those of you who have been following along schooling in America over the years, we like to ask a split sample question about if it were your decision and you can select any type of school, what type of school would you select in order to obtain the best education for your child? And then we have another version of that where we add the phrase and financial costs and transportation were of no concern. So if you combine those responses, just comparing those who are homeschooling in February with those who are not, the preference of those who are homeschooling in February, only a third would prefer homeschool. At 33 percent, 41 percent would prefer private school and 18 percent would prefer their public district school with fewer than one out of 10 in public charter. Now comparing that to those who were not homeschooling in February, only 7 percent said that they would prefer homeschooling and they were evenly split 40 percent preferring a private school and 40 percent preferring a public district school. So I think we might actually be seeing some of those preferences coming out of those who were homeschooling in February, that if given their druthers, only a third of them would really be homeschooling and about two out of five would be sending their child to a private school.
0: So now in the last section of the sort of slide deck of responses, there's a particular dive into how these opinions vary by race. And I think this was actually really interesting because there's lots of perceptions about homeschooling that, you know, homeschoolers are all white conservative Christians and increasingly interesting research being done to show just the incredible diversity of homeschooling and the different reasons that people homeschool and where they come from and how they homeschool and, and what that looks like. So I'd be interested, how did the findings that you had over these questions vary by race?
1: Yeah, and and I, uh, I strongly encourage any listeners who are interested about uh, homeschooling that is not white parents and not happening in the suburban or urban areas to look up Catalina Mons. She is one of our fellows and has some great firsthand experience and is doing quite a bit of research into especially black school parents that are homeschooling in more of the small town rural areas. So when it came to that question of, um, has your favorability shifted because of the pandemic? We see more than half of black school parents at 53% saying that they're more favorable as a result. That's compared with a little over a third of the Hispanic school parents and a little more than two out of five of the white school parents. So there's definitely a stark contrast there.
2: And I also think what's kind of instructive, Mike, for these sort of racial differences with homeschoolers is is maybe like splitting out reasons why people don't homeschool. I think that can kind of be instructive and, and kind of tells us maybe a little bit about where different types of people are coming from within their lives or educational settings and goals. You know, something that kind of struck me, for instance, was when we asked about reasons why parents hadn't homeschooled or didn't homeschool prior to February and kind of prior to the forced home education environment, you know, there are a number of concerns that people cited as far as like socialization concerns for their children and and time management. We've kind of seen these all before consistently. But Hispanic parents especially, we found, were more likely to be concerned about work schedule conflicts compared to African-American and white families. And I I think that kind of lends itself, and you can take it from here, Mike, because I know you think about these sorts of things all the time, but maybe policy discussions and implications for people who do want to homeschool but, but do kind of worry about the cost or the support that they might be able to receive from, you know, whether it be a traditional school or some sort of consortium.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is where so many of these hybrid homeschools came from. I mean, if we look on the, the private side, uh, the sort of early epicenter for these schools back in the early 90s was in the kind of Dallas Metroplex. In that case, it was a lot of homeschooling parents and their big sort of impetus for banding together and starting school is that their kids were getting older. So as their kids were pre- were sort of approaching late, middle and high school, the parents felt less comfortable teaching those advanced academic subjects. And frankly, what a lot of them were doing were like driving hither and non, trying to find tutors and and put people together that could do it. And they're like, why don't we put all of these people in one place? And it's like, that's what a school is, right? So they were able to sort of get the best of both worlds of those things. Interestingly, on the public side, I mean, the, the sort of, what's that, I-25, the corridor that runs north and south out of Denver, there have been a bunch of these on the sort of charter school sector and traditional public schools operating these programs for, again, for about the same period of time, all the way back uh, since the early 90s. And again, in a lot of those families joined for different reasons. I mean, Colorado has a, a big homeschooling tradition and a strong homeschooling culture. But again, they came for enrichment activity, socialization, a lot of those same issues that were happening to band together in community with other people because homeschooling can be kind of isolating at times. So yeah, I mean, one of the things anytime you start to do research on these things, you realize just the vast array of reasons how different people you know choose to sort of come at all of this. So now I, I'm sort of interested, we've been talking about the research that we've done looking backwards or looking at the past, I'm going to ask, you know, which is always dangerous, you know, let's say we ask these same questions one year hence, right? So, so we, we, when this was in the field, what was it, late May, early June? We put these exact same questions in the field in late May of early June of 2021. I would love to know, and we'll forget about this. So no one will actually be held to account for this. So feel free to speak freely. Do you expect to see differences? Would you imagine some of these questions moving higher numbers, lower numbers? I'd love to know what what you would think if we were having this exact conversation one year from now, how might it be different?
2: I think that's a great question, Mike. And, you know, I'd start by saying one thing likely is going to change. And that is just like the general enrollment breakouts by school sector. We try to in our School in America series, try to present pretty clearly what the the breakout is as far as what type of schools um, America students go to. Homeschooling kind of consistently, based off federal data, it's, it's consistently about three to four percent of American students do homeschool. And, you know, you see reports out of various states with homeschooling applications going through the roof, kind of parents getting together and learning pods and and just with the potential lack of in-person schooling or kind of hybrid models with, with virtual learning that some parents might not like, we're kind of expecting that number to increase at least for the intermediate term. And I think that kind of lends itself to differences just because it's going to be and you talked about this, like education is not static. you know people kind of go in and out of different school sectors or or settings. but I do think a vast majority of these new homeschoolers are going to be different types of, of homeschoolers with different experiences, and that'll lend itself to some different results. So I'm not quite sure right now what the change might be, but I'm I'm definitely expecting some differences as the population of homeschoolers likely grows and evolves.
0: No, and that's a really interesting point too, because I think one of the things, at least in my mind, when I initially thought about this, we tend to use the sort of, if we think about the flow of who changes sectors at least in my mind, the default is sort of public school students. So it's like, where will public school students go next year? And based on their, you know, their online learning plans or whatever, that might affect it. But remember, you know, we also have kids in private schools and we have kids in charter schools. And the question is, where are they going to go? I mean, one, for someone at least of of my ideological predilections, one of the sort of unfortunate things happening right now is the real squeeze that's being put on private schools you know private schools that are in places where they're not able to open in person and thus are going to be offering online learning you have lots of families especially sort of middle class or or families who are struggling financially who really scrimp and save to be able to attend private schools saying look if i'm getting online learning i might just take the public school one right because it's probably not going to be very good but not very good and free is different than not very good and expensive so there is going to be this really interesting question of How did the, you know, you almost imagine one of those graphs that's done where we start with each of the sectors on one side and you sort of draw lines showing where they flow into each one. Because you imagine, who knows, some private school people might go to public school, some public school people might go to homeschooling, some public might go to private, and sort of how those flows happen. And I think we're going to see this amazing mishmash of people going in all of these different directions. I don't know, Drew, what do you see happening?
1: Yeah, I mean, just based on the survey that we did alone, like nearly a quarter of parents who were not homeschooling before the pandemic indicated they are very likely to do so uh, full-time or part-time on their own next school year. I mean, I'm not entirely sure what part-time homeschooling would be. Maybe it's more hybrid homeschooling. And maybe they're thinking that, oh, their district is doing a hybrid schedule and they're in person half the time and virtual half the time, and that's part-time homeschooling. So, uh, again, the definitions are a little fuzzy and hard, but still, even... 15% saying that they're very likely to do so full-time and another 11% being somewhat likely to do so full-time is, I think, striking. And even those who were homeschooling in February, there are going to be some changes there with 2% saying that they're not at all likely to continue homeschooling.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's a really great point. And even even if some fraction of those groups of people actually go through with this, We could still be talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of children and tens to hundreds of millions of dollars in funding following them. So, well, look, gentlemen, this was all super interesting. Drew, I see you want one. Go for it.
1: No, actually, I wanted to pivot this to Mike Shaw to talk about the demand in homeschooling that kind of has been happening in some states in terms of applications and shutting down some websites and how that might be kind of a canary in the coal mine, so to speak, of things to come.
2: Yeah, it's it's super interesting. And this is something I was looking at about a month or so ago. And I, I I do really want to revisit it because I know even though like a lot of states and districts have kind of like delayed the start of their fall semesters, a lot of states and districts are, are well on their way to it. And I, I think by and large, education decisions have been made. But you saw states both state departments of education as well as kind of advocacy groups and and just seeing a torrent of interest regarding interest in homeschooling for this coming fall semester because, and you can't blame them at all for this, but districts and, and schools just, they were kind of waiting to make decisions on what schooling would look like in the fall. And of course, that also had to do with county and state public health officials and those decisions. But you saw some really interesting cases. I'm based in Arizona right now, and there's some reports of tens of thousands of new homeschooling parents in Maricopa County, which is where Phoenix is, the largest county in the state. You saw parents in North Carolina literally crashing the state's homeschooling application website. And so you're definitely seeing a surge of demand. I think it's going to take some time, and and just especially with the way federal data sets lag, to see kind of how big this rush into homeschooling for the semester at least may be. But I definitely think the interest is there and I could see it maintaining for quite some time.
1: North Carolina is the one that interests me the most out of those. Cause they already have about one out of 10 of their K-12 students that are homeschooling. Proportionally much higher than any other state. And the fact that their website's crashing due to the demand, shameless plug, like looking forward to getting the results in hand for a North Carolina parent survey. That we did kind of do an oversample of homeschooling parents, and we also asked the non-homeschoolers about their likelihood of potentially homeschooling post-pandemic. So, so yeah, that's a state that really looking to uh, unravel a bit and dig into the data.
0: Great preview for the future to be discussed on a future EdChoice chats podcast. Drew, Mike, it was great spending this time chatting with you. Where can folks find the results of this survey?
1: You can just go to our research page at EdChoice.org. Or I'm sure that our lovely communications team is going to do what they always do and make the most recent research report one of the sliders on our homepage. So you can even just go to edchoice.org and either click through those little slider buttons or wait maybe five to 10 seconds and you'll see the link to click on.
2: And Mike, I'll also plug too, Drew especially has been doing some great work with some more demographic breakouts of our various survey components. You know, we've talked about briefly some race and ethnicity differences, but the data set is is just huge as far as what can be compared as far as party ID or community type, household income, those sorts of things. So Drew's been blogging and doing some really interesting kind of graphical things on that, on our Engage blog. But if you have any questions regarding this year's survey data, regarding demographic breakouts, or just general questions that you don't see in our slide deck or our related material, feel free to email our team. It's research at edchoice.org and we can try to find this question to dig into the data and share.
1: Yeah, we're even willing to just send you a PDF
0: of the cross tab so you can do your own analysis. Look at that. You two, princes, both of you. Well look, Drew, Mike, it was great chatting with you. Thanks for joining the podcast today. And thanks to you, our listeners, and we look forward to chatting with you all again on another edition of Ed Choice Chats.